But it's a blessing to be here. Your pastor texted me this afternoon and asked me if I'd come and speak, and I was honored to do it and glad to do it. And I hope it'll be something tonight to be a help and a blessing and encouragement to you. I know that uh, I've probably told the story before about my grandmother and uh, burying a husband and four of her sons. And then my mother was just a, she was a twin and she buried her, uh, my mother's twin also. And how my mom took, or my grandmother took my mother to church in northern Michigan and later on the altar and from that gift that she gave to God uh, there are over 40 of her offspring in the Lord's work full-time today now one of them just went to heaven last Saturday my brother John's wife died the lady in the wheelchair and I know they've been to uh, your meeting in March Matter of fact, the last service that she was in was the meeting in March when several people got saved, whether in the afternoon or night, whenever that service was. That was the last time she got to go to church. Uh, she passed away Saturday, uh, 48 years in a wheelchair, a place called heaven, where every born-again child of God aspires uh, to getting there. I'm, I don't have any qualms about going to heaven. He loves me, and so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness that he gives. I talked about my mother being laid on the altars, just a little girl, when we get into the message. Psalms 84, we'll read just the first three verses, and I find my three thoughts encompassed in those three verses. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Father in heaven, we're thankful tonight for the opportunity. We appreciate people coming tonight in the heat of the summer. And uh, as our brother said a moment ago, summer on vacation and all that's understandable. But I pray that you'd help those of us that have gathered here tonight. May we see something, may we hear something, may we recognize something that will be a help in, to our lives and encouragement down the road of life. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And I call this uh, little thing birds of a feather flock together, and, uh, you know, it talks about the sparrow here, and it talks about uh, the, the swallow here in this uh, little few verses that we read. And when they build their nest, and they have a desire for their young to be born, to be hatched, and that's where they raise their chicks. And uh, I think it's a good thing. It would be a wonderful thing for God's people to bring their children to the house of God and have them familiar with the altars in the house of God. How amiable, it says, are his tabernacles. His courts, the courts of the Lord are a blessed place. I want to talk about the courts. I want to talk about the tabernacle. And I want to talk about the altars 
And that'll be my thoughts tonight. I want you to consider initially the courts, the courts found there in the second verse. For the courts of the Lord, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Now, back in Bible days, the tabernacle was in the wilderness for a while. The temple was there in Jerusalem until uh, the time of uh, the defeat and the Babylonish uh, government coming in there and taking all that away. But the courts were the place of cleansing. There was a labor there. You would have to wash your feet and wash your hands and wash your face and be cleansed before you would have access into the rest of the facility. You know, it's a trite little statement. Probably all of us have sung the little chorus, maybe if you were a Sunday school teacher especially, or maybe when you were a kid, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. This is a big one. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. I think it's a vital thing to keep the Christian home clean. And I'm not talking about domestically. I'm not talking about dirt and of course, you ought to mop the floor and sweep the carpet and, uh, you know, change uh, the sheets every once in a while. And the kids ought to take a bath. You know, when I was a kid, we just took a bath on Saturday night. We didn't take a bath all week. God only knows what that house might have smelled like. With us boys and all the stuff we did. We just, and fortunately, I was the oldest, so I got to take a bath first. Then my dumb little brothers had to get in after me. Uh, what, a, what a thing that must have. I'm glad I was the oldest, I'll tell you that. But I'm talking about keeping your house clean in regard to watch what your children are watching. I said watch what your children are watching. Not only on the television, but now on these little screens that they have in their laps. And the video games that they play. And watch who they're playing with in the neighborhood. It's an important thing. And watch what they're reading. I know kids don't read books anymore. But they read that stuff on their iPads and they read that stuff on their phone. Parents, keep that house clean. You say, well, they won't like it. So what? I would say this, keep the marriage fires burning in your heart. Your children ought to see that mom and dad love each other. They ought to, rec they ought to catch you smooching every once in a while. Amen, Brother Green. Oh, you're not married, are you? I shouldn't look at you. God help him. You know, I don't think any marriage ever ceased. I don't think anybody ever got divorced. Because the wedding day was lousy. I don't think that was the case at all. 
You know, it's not the celebration, it's not the cake, it's not the corsage, but it's the continuance of that relationship, that love one for another that keeps a family together. I mean, I've been at rehearsals where they have fights over what kind of music is going to play, who's going to play the music, what kind of this, what kind of that. That's a dumb time to work out all that stuff. I've heard of, you know, the wedding party standing there and there's candles on uh, candelabras all over the place and uh, the bride's veil catches on fire. That makes a hot night right there, I'll tell you. We had a wedding at our church one time. There was about, I don't know why in the world you need seven or eight groomsmen. I guess because she had to have seven or eight bridesmaids. And they were standing, there were steps like this. And I, I, I guess this is, I've never passed out in my life. So I've never fainted, so I don't know. But the, they claimed that this boy had his knees locked, you know, for 45 minutes or an hour, however long the wedding lasted. And right there in the middle of the wedding sometime, shoom, he just fell flat on his face. And they just let him lay there. It wasn't going to interrupt the wedding. What a guy could have been dead for all I knew. Sometimes they'd come to the wedding and say, all right, now you give, take the ring. And, get, and, and I forgot the rings. All that stuff happens. I got a preacher, he's an evangelist, he's in heaven now. We, we, you know, evangelists, we don't preach a lot of weddings. I've, I've preached four in my 52 years of preaching. Three of them have already ended in divorce. I have a 25% or a 250 batting average, however you want to look at it. And if you're interested in getting married, don't ask me because I ain't too good at it. This fellow, he, he, he didn't preach them often either. But you know at the end what you're supposed to say? And he said this, what God, real, real dignified, like the most dignified of the whole uh, wedding deal, what God hath put asunder, let no man join together. Now, that didn't ruin the wedding. You know, maybe, you know, they sing a lot. Of, they, I don't know if they sing it anymore, but they used to sing, here comes the bride. What they really ought to sing is, here comes the trouble. You're going to have some problems in every marriage. You see, love is not contentment. It's commitment. Love is not satisfaction. It's sacrifice. Love is not emotion. It's devotion. Love is not swooning, it's sensible. Courtship. Courtship. We should take courtship over the courtyard of commitment. Determined to bring that cleansing to the courtyard of God's amazing grace in your marriage. That's the courtyard. Let me give you another little thought. And then I'm going backwards. I use the second point. Because that's the way it worked. That's the way the temple was. So, you know, I'm not saying that the psalmist got this out of order. Don't ever say that. Uh, and I may be corrected, and somebody may have the answer tonight sitting in this building. But notice verse 1, how amiable are thy courts. How amiable are thy tabernacle. It's an amiable place. Now, the word amiable, I looked it up. It's a very interesting word. In modern days, we would say friendly or agreeable. In Bible days, it meant pleasing or admirable. They're just about synonymous, about the same thing. And 
I hope that as a parent, I hope you don't let your kids stay home from school to do his homework. I can say that in the middle of the summer. You know, if you thought if I knew anything about the church and your kids stayed home, somebody get mad. I don't know. I hope, you're not go- I hope your kid's not going to summer school. But you don't let kids stay home to do their homework. Church is more important than homework. Church is more important than ABCs. How amiable are thy tabernacles. Build the nest of your home around the Bible. You know, geese and and ducks are some of the dumbest animals on this planet. Now, I've shot geese and I've shot ducks and, and I like to do that. But they, you know, they make their nests sometimes on the white line in the middle of the highway. They don't have a lick of sense. And you wonder how there's so many of them. We, we live in a neighborhood, just a residential neighborhood. We had a, a mallard drake and the hen, uh, I assume it was the same couple, they came to our backyard and the front ditch, I'd say, for five or six years in a row. Come back. They just knew guys, we weren't going to hurt them, and they'd have their little babies out there in the backyard. But the problem with that, we have raccoons out there, and they like to eat eggs, and we have possum out there, and they like to eat eggs. And, and so I, we never did see very many ducklings because uh, the animals would get them. And another thing, our backyard was like a swamp until it dried up. And then the water was all gone. And I wish you, I, I mowed the lawn Monday when I got home from a meeting in West Virginia Sunday night late. Had to get it done. But they're dumb. They just do dumb things. We had a robin this year. Now, for the last, I don't know if it's the same robin, but uh, we had a robin for the last two or three years. They make a nest above the porch light on, in the front of the house. And my wife didn't like that. I said, honey, I, I, you know, there's something in the Bible about messing up a nest, and I'm not going to do that. And, if, you know, and I was away or she was away, and they'd, they'd build it. And, you know, I'd climb up there and look if there was any eggs in there. I'd tear it down. And for when, if there was eggs up there, I said, honey, it's too late. Well, this year, uh, the robins, they went to the backyard, and they had their babies in the porch light over the, the back door. And the nest hung way down like this. And you'd go outside and uh, those two robins, I couldn't tell the man from the woman. But uh, I tell you, they'd give it to you. They'd holler and scream and cackle or whatever else robins do. They didn't like us going out underneath that uh, porch light. They made a fuss about it. But I think what they were trying to do is protect their young. They were trying to protect their nest. And I want to say this about the church and the Bible, and holiness, and godly living. It'll help to protect those little chicks, those little children that grow up in your household. I don't think for one minute there's a perfect church in the world. And if you were looking for one and you joined it, it would no longer be perfect. You'd run it. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect place. But I tell you, you can find the best place and a good place and a right place to raise those children for God. Families are not ruined by uh, less than a perfect wedding. You know, a couple gets married. They don't look back at how the wedding got messed up. It's the continuance that gets corrupted. It's the lack of maintenance. You know, uh, you know some guys, when they say, I do, they're actually saying, I'm done. I'm finished. Uh, and 
you know, if the man says, I do, then she says, oh, no, you don't. You never know how it's going to work. You think I'm kidding, don't you? <laughs> you know what the bachelor's last words are, don't you? I do. That's simple. You should have caught that one now. Someone said, someone said marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? You know, if you don't know this, men and women are a lot different. Could you imagine going back to the Garden of Eden? And Adam had a tremendous assignment from the Lord. He had to name, he named every single animal in the, in the world. He named them all. So I can, I, you know, I can see Adam sitting there, and this animal comes walking by, and he looks at it, and he says, cow. C-O-W, cow. If Eve would have been naming the animals, she said, she'd say, a pretty white walking milk machine. That's what you, who wants an animal, who wants a cow called that? Here, here's, a, here's another little dog. Excuse me, a little thing comes by. Adam sees it, he says, dog, D-O-G, just three letters. You say, did Adam, did he speak English? far as I know, you don't know what he spoke either. If it was a woman, if Eve would have been named her, she said, a cuddly, furry, little barking thing. Could you imagine in the encyclopedia or in the uh, dictionary how big it would be if a cow was called that and a dog was called all those other things? God help us to get our children involved in these amiable tabernacles of the house of God. A man needs to determine this. That that woman that you marry, that's her and her alone for the rest of her, your life and the rest of her life. Stay faithful. A woman ought to, it's him and him alone for the rest of our lives. A, dis, a discontented woman becomes the strange woman of the Bible. Proverbs first. Four or five chapters there. And a man with a wandering eye seems like there's a magnet between him and the strange woman of the book of Proverbs and the problems that are caused there. Now solemnly and slowly you make it to the altar. There's the courts of the Lord. That's where you do some cleansing. That tabernacle, you come in there, you know all about that. And now we're at the altar, God's altar. There's no foolishness at the altar. Matter of fact, when the high priest would go into the uh, Holy of Holies, they had a, a rope or uh, uh, some kind of cord around his leg in case he had a heart attack and died, in case he did something he wasn't supposed to do in there and he died so that they could pull, the, pull him out, pull his body out and dispose of it properly, bury it. I say to you tonight, God's altars are important. You know, these altars here at the house of God are important. This isn't a place to play. This isn't a place to, you know, jump up and down and fool around and uh, let kids mess around. At, at the, uh, this, is a, this is where people come. There are... I don't, I don't know how many people I could ask. I'm not going to do it. But how many people have come to the altar in this church? And I would, uh, it would be easy to say every square inch 
of these altars up here, at least uh, the second row there, and you kneel at the first or kneel on the floor, and there at the first have been soaked in tears, and people have met Jesus there, and the Holy Ghost has come into their hearts there, and their lives were changed there. It's a holy place. It's an important place. It's a place where they would come. We need to give our children and dedicate them to deity and raise them for righteousness, the life, this eternal destiny. Listen, the eternal destiny of a child is so vitally fragile and important. We'll go to the funeral Friday of my brother's wife, Tina, her sister died just eight months ago. Her daddy's 94 years old. I, don't look, I, I know Mr. Kendrick. I've known him a long, long time. I've known him almost 50 years. He's a noble Christian man, lives in Pensacola. I don't know. I think the most emotional thing to me would be to talk to him. He's buried a wife. He's now burying... His second daughter he has two sons left. That's all. That's a heartbreaking thing. To lay a child beneath the sod. Thank God they're, both of his daughters are with God tonight. They're both born again Christian people. It's dependent. That, that fragility of one's eternal destiny is dependent on where you place you're young. Where you put my my grandmother put my mother on the altar. I I am part of a uh, part and parcel of what my grandmother did 93 years ago. She placed my mom on that altar. I I, I probably wouldn't even be here tonight. I probably wouldn't even be saved tonight if that old lady that I knew and loved hadn't placed that little two-and-a-half-pound little girl on that altar. She met my father and served God until she died at just 45 years of age. Where you place your young is important. Where you, where you place your young on vacation is important. I hope you find a church to go to on vacation. You say, well, I don't know a church as good as our church. So what? Go to church. I'll tell you what I used to do when we went on vacation with the kids. We'd go to a black church. Now, if you want to have a good time, buddy, and you're going to stay long, too, unless you leave, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a good time. You're going to see some things you've never seen before. We were, my wife and I went to one in San Diego, California. We went to uh, S.M. Lockridge's church. 800 people there that Sunday morning. Five of us looked like us. <laughs> Out of 800. They took up five offerings that morning. Two of the offerings were taken up by women. All of them had white gloves on up to their elbows. I, and I put, I put some in every plate, man. I wanted to make sure I touched all the bases. 
Go to church. Have your young. Listen, the theater's no place to take your young. The amusement parks, no place. Who in the world in their right mind today would take them to woke Disneyland? Well, they don't even have Mickey or Minnie anymore. And if you think that way, something wrong with you. God help us in this country. The public schools, no place to put your children. I know some people have to. But be careful. Be careful. Be careful upon whose altars you lay your young. Be careful where you build your nest. Life is short and eternity is long. Are you saved or are you just religious? Are you born again or are you just a church member? A lot of difference. Are you heaven bound or going to the other place? Mother and dad determined to be what you ought to be for him, for them. You know, don't you think kids know when you're putting on airs? Don't you think kids know when you're faking it? They can see right through you. God help us to be as faithful at home to our spiritual exercises as we are when we're in the house of God. Help us to use the same language at home as we use at the house. Develop a growing interest in God's word. Psalms 119 and verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. What class? That I may not sin against thee. As a saved, born-again Christian, and I know probably there's nobody in this building who's saved has ever done anything wrong since you got saved. So I know this boy hasn't been here very long. So I'm sure ever since he's been saved, he's done a lot of wrong. I knew his daddy. I knew his brothers. I knew the whole family. But don't you think if you've hid some word of God in your heart, and we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us, too. We've got the Word hidden in our heart. We've got the Holy Ghost living inside of this temple. And you start to do something wrong or say something wrong. A verse of Scripture pop in your head. The Holy Ghost speak to your heart. Verse 13 of that chapter says, With my lips have I declared all the judgments of of thy mouth with my lips I've said he said with my lips I've said what God said with my lips I'm doing what God says to do Psalms 119 verse 13 I close I love I love stories I've been here enough you know that and I came across this not long ago it's a story from France and there was a poor girl she was blind and all she had uh, you know, Braille uh, came, that was the guy's name, probably Braille, because it was a Frenchman that came up with Braille. That's where it started. And all she had in Braille was the Gospel of Mark. And she had read the Gospel of Mark so much with her fingertips that her fingertips became calloused. And she really couldn't distinguish the tactile symbols that 
represented the alphabet so that she could read the Word of God. She couldn't even read the letters. So she got it in her mind. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut the tips of my fingers so they'll be more sensitive and I'll be able perhaps to read the Bible. But as they healed those scars, they became to the point she, it, it destroyed them, destroyed her touch. She was broken hearted. You know, I read stories like this. Here's a girl who wanted to read the Bible so much. She only had one book. That she did what she thought would help and it hurt. And we have Christians in America that haven't even read their Bible today. And they don't, they don't plan on doing it tonight. They don't, matter of fact, they went to church last Sunday and they left it in the pew. Or they left it in the back seat of the car. God help us. So broken hearted she began to weep. And when she did, she pressed the pages of her Braille Bible to her lips, and she prayed. She said, farewell, sweet words of my heavenly Father, food for my soul, I must part with thee. And to her shocked discovery, her lips were sensitive. They were more delicate than her fingers. And she could read her Braille book of Mark with her lips. And all night, she perused the pages of the Word of God. Blind girl. Read her Bible with her lips, overflowing, overflowing with joy. That once again, I could read from the book of God with her lips. We've got eyes. We've got cheaters. <laughs> if we need them to put on, and we don't look. Oh, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. I don't, you know, I've got to have a small part in my brother's wife's funeral. You, you would be, it would be easy, I think it would be wrong to play to the emotions of people. But I'd like to say it here. That girl's been in that wheelchair for 48 years. She had a leg removed. She had a foot removed. She hadn't taken a step. She couldn't take a step in all these years. She had an open wound on her body that big. 
And that's where the, all the infection and all of the problems came from that large wound that went to her entire body and killed her and took her life. She's got a brand new house today. She's got a brand new body. And she can walk on a street of gold. And she saw her sister and she saw her mother. And she saw her father-in-law. Her dad's been there since the 9th of February. My mom's been there since the 5th of March in 1975. She saw her too. I'm going to tell you something, child of God. We've got a lot going for us. We've got some courts. We've got a tabernacle. We've got some altars. Let's take advantage of them. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness tonight and your grace. I wish somehow we could, probably couldn't stand it, but I wish somehow we could get a better glimpse of your grace that's been spread abroad in our lives. I wish somehow we could get a better look at the mercy and the long-suffering and the kindness that you have extended to us. And I walked into the building tonight and the ladies were playing Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a wonderful thing. If we knew all of the ramifications of redemption, how it would impact and affect our lives. You do one of two things tonight. You could come and spend a little time at these altars. You can make a decision in your heart that'll change your home sitting back there in your pew. Whatever God would have you do, you ought to do it tonight. And I know it's not nothing. I know it doesn't want you to do nothing with the message. Maybe this part wasn't for you and another part, but it was something tonight. Down in the depths of your soul, a voice spoke. A bell rung. A thought intruded your consciousness. I need to make some amends there. I need to make some changes there. I need, there needs to be an upgrade in my life in this area.